Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The Lord's Supper is a demonstration of Jesus' love. Clearly in this account, Jesus' love is on full display for all of us. The Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably participated in this tradition before. It has been practiced by the church for 2,000 years. But the Lord's Supper is much more than a tradition. I don't know if the disciples got it all. They didn't really quite understand the significance of what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying was, I am about to become your Passover lamb. I'm about to have my body torn, my flesh ripped from my bones. I'm about to shed my blood I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Well, if you're a regular with us on Crosswalk, you probably know that we've been working our way through the book of Daniel this year, but we're taking a break from our series today to take time to reflect on the meaning and the message of the Lord's Supper. How did it start? Why do we do it? Does it mean anything? If you've ever wondered about any of those questions, you're going to be glad you joined us today. These are some important questions, and Pastor Clay is going to address them today in his message. So, now, here's Pastor Clay. Matthew chapter 26, uh, we're reading uh, verses 26 through 30. While they were eating... Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's talk about a, a few uh, ideas that, that whether they realized it at the time or not, uh, the followers of Jesus were learning as a result of the Lord's Supper. We'll start with this one uh, this morning. The Lord's Supper is a demonstration of Jesus' love. The Lord's Supper is a demonstration of Jesus' love. I, I won't read verse 26 to the first part of verse 28 again because I just read it, but uh, clearly in this account, Jesus' love is on full display uh, for all of us. He and the disciples had gathered in that room that night, we call it the upper room because it was an upper room. It was a room above a, another room or a building or something else. They had gathered in that upper room to share a meal together. It was a special meal. It was about to become more special, but it was a special meal. Now, they had shared lots of meals, lots of suppers together through the years. Three and a half years they've spent together. They've shared a lot of meals. They've shared a lot of suppers. But this one, as I said, is, is significant. And it's going to become even more significant in just a few moments. But Jesus knew that this was the last supper. That he was going to share with his disciples before he went to the cross. Jesus knew where he was headed. Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew his purpose. They didn't understand it yet. The, the, his disciples didn't understand it yet. They seemed to keep missing that, even though he told them over and over again what he was going to Jerusalem to do. 
But he knew this was the Last Supper. And so he took opportunity to, to teach them some, them some significant truth. And it's significant truth for all of our lives in here today or, or someone, someone watching or someone listening. It's significant truth for all of our lives. And one of those truths is this fact that Jesus' love, God's love for us, is on display. The meal, what made the meal special for them was they were participating in Passover. And I've explained this several times, but I, I, I never want to miss the opportunity when we do Lord's Supper to share some of the events and some of the backgrounds that, that leads this. It's Passover for Jesus and the disciples. They've gone to Jerusalem, which, by the way, all Jews were supposed to do, if they could, if at all possible, they were to make their way to Jerusalem to, to participate together in this thing called the Passover meal. The Passover meal was, was birthed out of an, uh, an event that happened a thousand years before this night. Okay, this night is 2,000 years ago for us. So a thousand years before that, God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, to come out of bondage in Egypt. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God sends a series of plagues on the, on the, the country, the nation of Egypt. To show Pharaoh that God is bigger than Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh should humble himself, submit to God's will, and let the Israelites leave Egypt, leave slavery. But Pharaoh, if you've read the account of the book of Exodus, Pharaoh refuses to do so. He continues to refuse to do so. Plague after plague after plague, and he, and he continues to stiffen or harden his heart each time. He begins to act like he's going to relent in the middle of the crisis. But then once the crisis passes, then he hardens his heart again and he refuses to do so. And so God tells Moses that he's going to send one final plague on the nation of Israel. I mean, on, on the nation of Egypt. And he says, I'm going to send, I'm going to go throughout the land, and the destroyer, or the text calls the destroyer or the death angel, it may depend on your translation, going to go throughout the land and, and striking down the firstborn of every household. And that after that night, Moses told the people, God told Moses to tell the people to be ready because after tonight, Pharaoh will let you go. And so the Israelites were told by God that when the destroyer goes throughout the land, here's how you are to uh, act. Here's what you're to do. You're to, you're to sacrifice, you're to kill a lamb, a very specific lamb. It must be a lamb. God instructs them, without spot or blemish, without any imperfections. In other words, you can't say, oh, let's just take the, the runt of the herd. Uh, you know, there's not very, he's not very good anyway. Or let's take this limp one. No, it, it must be a lamb without spot or blemish. It must be healthy, whole. And you're to kill that lamb. And when you kill that lamb, you're to take some of the blood from the lamb that you've just killed and you are to paint it on the side posts and over the door frame of your house. Across the top, and down the sides, you paint some of that blood on there. And when you paint that blood on there, you'll be, a, you'll be demonstrating by faith your belief that God is going, to, is going to cover you. That the blood of the innocent will cover you. And when the, when the destroyer comes throughout the land, the destroyer will pass over your house and you will be spared. By the way, the word literally means to, to cover over. So what really happened was God hovered over, covered over, hovered over the house of the Israelites and, and the, the death angel, the destroyer, passed over their home. 
And they were spared in that way. And, they were after, and, and the lamb that they killed, they were then supposed to cook. And they were supposed to eat the lamb that night. It was a meal. There were a lot of other elements to it. And we don't have time when we, when we do an old, uh, uh, Exodus study sometime. We'll look at all that. But you're to eat the lamb. Your family, sit down, eat the lamb, uh, because this is the last supper that you're ever going to have as a slave in Egypt. So you, you're to eat it together, and then tomorrow you're going to be leaving. It was uh, traditionally, this is what the, the Israelites have been doing for a thousand years. Now think about it, for a thousand years, every year, they've been celebrating this meal. And, and when I mean celebrating, I mean celebrating. It was, it was a festive, celebratory uh, feeling whenever they got together because this was, I mean, they're looking back. It's been a hundred years, 300 years, a thousand years. And in Jesus' case, it, this night, it's been a thousand years. And, and they're remembering as they do every year, man, God is so good. God delivered us. Uh, the death angel passed over. Uh, we celebrate this. So it was a very festive occasion. And suddenly into that occasion, Jesus takes a piece of bread and he tears it. He breaks it. And he says, this is my body. Hey guys, this is my body. Take, eat it. This is my body. He takes the cup. This is my blood. Take, drink it. Now, uh, the Catholic Church improperly teaches, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to necessarily throw Catholics under the bus today, although it probably will sound that way, um, but the Catholic Church improperly teaches that uh, this doctrine is known as the doctrine of transubstantiation, that, that the elements, that the bread and the, and the cup, the fruit of the vine, literally turn into the body and blood of Christ when you take it in. I forget why they say it doesn't really taste like flesh or blood, but they have some reason why it doesn't. But anyway, it literally becomes those elements, and that that's how you receive and keep salvation by taking in those elements and and so you have to go to the church to get those elements and i'm throwing the catholic church under the bus all right uh, but but that, that's it's, it's wrong if you read the if you read the text if you if you read the accounts in the gospels i think it's pretty obvious that that jesus is painting a picture for them that jesus is is painting symbolism here he's 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 trying to show them uh, through through illustration what he is about to do for them. I don't know if the disciples got it all. But by their actions later, it would appear that they didn't really quite understand the significance of what Jesus was saying. But they should have. They'd walked with him long enough. They should have understood. You and I should understand that what Jesus was saying was, I am about to become your Passover lamb. I'm about to have my body torn, my flesh ripped from my bones. I'm about to shed my blood so that you can be under the blood and the penalty and the pain and the suffering of sin and death, all the things that you deserve will pass over you. It is an amazing demonstration of his love. He, says, he specifically says, this is my body. Get it, guys? My body, my blood. Do you understand what I'm doing for you? Uh, good many, you probably most of you remember when the Passion of the Christ uh, came out a few years ago. Uh, I, I, go, I, I go to a good, good number of movies. Uh, Cindy and I like to go to the movies. It's a nice date night thing for us. And so we like to go uh, to the movies. And I, I go see a lot of chick flicks. I, I do. She likes them. I like them. Uh, Bill Hopkins, our life group pastor, thinks I should turn in my man card because I, because I like uh, chick flicks. But, but I do like them. But, it, you know, if you go to a movie like that, if you go to a romantic movie, if you go to, you know, some, there's always going to be some part that's kind of uh, sentimental, what we might call t- kind of a tear-jerking scene, you know, and, and, and occasionally, you know, throughout the theater, you'll, you'll kind of hear, you know, a sniffle or something like that, or, you know, your, 
uh, you know, you kind of turn away from your wife. Kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know what? Right? There's a little bit of that, right? Uh, still to this day, I have never attended a film. When I attended The Passion of the Christ, I've never attended a film where there was so much open, verbal sobbing, weeping, crying in that movie theater that night. I, uh, just, I just remember distinctly how much crying there was and sobbing. Now listen, we have, we have all uh, been or seen probably more movies than we need to where, where someone gets killed unjustly or in some violent way. But I think what made that, at least for me as I'm thinking about it, what made that scene, that film, that idea so uh, emotional for all of us there was the fact that we realized that he did that for me. For Clay, he did that. Forget about the whole world for a minute, okay? For Clay, he did that. I, I, don't, I don't know how I can think about that. And, and the film truly did capture it in a very graphic and powerful way. I don't know how you cannot be moved by that idea. It's his love. Can I just show you a few passages of Scripture uh, beginning in uh, John chapter 15? Uh, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Uh, John fifteen thirteen. Uh, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You understand what I'm saying to you folks? You understand what he's saying? Guys, I love you. I love you. Look at this one. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Some of you know this one, but God demonstrates his own, what's that next word? Say it out loud. Love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How about this one? Romans 8, another one you may know. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be uh, slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who, there it is again, loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Wow. Okay, okay. How about this one? But God being rich in mercy because of his great ah, love with which he loved us. God's beginning to sound like a broken record. Is he trying to say something? Even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when, when I was a low-down, good-for-nothing, miserable, sorry, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, he loved me. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come watch this so in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus wow wow in 1st John chapter 3 see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are listen I, I, I think sometimes we can get so caught up in, in understanding the righteousness of God and, and the need for us to walk in obedience to Him and, and to obey His commands, all of which is true, of course, but I think sometimes we get so uh, focused on that that we forget this fantastic, almost unbelievable truth that the Creator of the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence, the one who knows the, the end as easily as He knows the beginning, 
The one who has no beginning and has no end, the Alpha and the Omega, loves me. He did that for me. Okay, so, wow, this, <laughs> we got to put it in hyperdrive. So here's the problem. People hear that. Maybe you're out here thinking that. But people hear that and they say, okay, great. You tell me God loves me. Well, God would never then condemn anybody to hell. If he's a God of love, he would never condemn anybody to hell. God would never, God would never frown on some life choice I make or some decision I want to do or living my life my way. Uh, if he loves me, then God would never, he would never do anything like that. He wouldn't be a God of anger or God that would send people to hell. Listen, here is, uh, I can't talk about it as much as I'd like to, but here's the theological truth that all of us have to, have to get a hold of, okay? It's not a blank necessarily here for you to fill in. You may want to write it down, uh, but we need to get a hold of this theological truth. And the theological truth is this. None of God's attributes cancel out, override, or supersede any of his other attributes. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, uh, we say that God is love. That's what Scripture says, and that's true. That's one of his attributes, Right? It's, it's, the, it's one of the ways in which God reveals himself to us. But God is also a God of righteousness, of justice. And the fact that God loves us does not cancel out God's righteousness or justice. And so if I'm a sinner, if I've committed sin, if I've, I've violated the law of God, which the Bible says all of us have, then the fact that God loves me on its own doesn't cancel out the fact that I have sin that separates me from God. Which brings us to the second idea this morning, which is this. The Lord's Supper is an explanation of Jesus' death. The Lord's Supper is an explanation of Jesus' death. Let me read verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out, watch this, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. There it is. He doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't kind of slide in there. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He, doesn't, he says, hey guys, listen, I'm about to die so that your sins can be forgiven. I'm going to die so that you can be set free from slavery to sin. I'm going to shed my blood so that all, the penalty of your sin can pass over you and come on to me. He's very clear about it. It's because of Sin, I'm going to do this. I'm dying so that your sins can be forgiven. Because, listen, we need to understand this. From our perspective, Jesus has to do this, ladies and gentlemen. He has to do this from, from our perspective. Because if he doesn't, we don't have any hope. Uh, look, look at this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It, it's, it's, it's the severity of sin. Without shedding, there is no forgiveness. How about this? Peter says, that, it says it this way in 1 Peter 1. You know you were not bought and made free from sin by paying gold or silver, which comes to an end. You know that not, not by what you can pay. And you know you were not saved from the punishment of sin by the way of life that you were given from your early fathers. That way of life was worth nothing. The blood of Christ saved you. This blood is of great worth and no amount of money can buy it. Christ was given as a lamb without sin and without a spot. So you see? Do you see what Jesus is teaching them? Hey guys, I'm becoming your Passover lamb. My blood is what's going to ultimately cover your sins in your life. Anybody, uh, well, it's just, it's just this idea that, that our sins had to be paid for. And so Jesus was going to die so that we could be forgiven. 
Look at a few passages of Scripture that, that deal with that idea. Matthew 26, he, in this text, he says, being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Notice he says poured out for many. He doesn't say for all. He says for many. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus didn't die for everyone? No. I believe that the Bible teaches that he died for the sins of the whole world. I I believe the Bible teaches that whosoever will may come. Matthew 11, 28, John 3, 16, John 7, 37, Revelation 22, 17. This idea that anyone that wants to can come. I believe that whosoever will can come. I just don't think that everyone will. It doesn't diminish the significance of the sacrifice that was made, but it's for many. It's to those who come. So maybe it's a good place real quick to stop and say, have you come to him? Have you come to the cross, to that place where that sacrifice was made? Did it ask you if you knew about it, if you'd heard about it, if you read about it? Have you come there? Have you been there in your mind, in your, in your will, in your surrender of yourself? Have you gone to the cross and said, God, I am a sinner. I know you died for me. I, I want to turn from my sin, but I need you to forgive me of my sins. Would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? Would you come into my life? Have any of you guys, <laughs> I'm picking on the Catholics again, but anybody read the story this week uh, about the comment the Pope made about um, uh, that even atheists can get into heaven? Anybody read that? Anybody, anybody read the story? Yeah, Pope Francis says atheists uh, who do good are uh, redeemed by Jesus. Well, I wish somebody told me that sooner. Now, the church has kind of had to kind of retract on it, and they're trying to do damage control, and, oh, it's not really what he meant or whatever, but, I mean, it's it's actually what he said. Listen, I know the Catholic Church believes in what's uh, called papal infallibility, the the fact that the Pope can't make a mistake, but I'm just going to say it. The Pope messed up big time on this one. Because can I tell you something? I can think of few things that would be more insulting to the holiness of God more contradictory to the word of God and more shameful to the sacrifice of Christ than the statement the Pope made. I'm just telling you, folks, because that basically says that Jesus died for now. You don't even got to believe it. You don't believe in anything. Just do good and you get in. Let me just show you real quick a, a few passages of Scripture just to remind you uh, of the fact that's simply not uh, true. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one can go to the Father except by me. How about this one, Uh, Acts 4? You and all the Jews must know that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you nailed to a cross and God raised from dead. It's through him that this man stands in front of you well and strong. Uh, Peter and them had healed somebody. Christ is the stone uh, that was put aside by you workmen, but he has become the most important stone in the building. There is no way to be saved from the punishment of sin through anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. How about this one? I, I know, I'm sorry, but the Pope clearly missed this one. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, we need to understand. He, he, didn't, he didn't just die because he got caught up in political intrigue. He didn't just die to be a good example about... He died for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and that should be a very sobering thought to us as we step to this table today. All right, I, I, I got to fly through... Uh, let, me, let me just give you the final idea this morning, and it's this. The Lord's Supper is an indication of Jesus' victory. Uh, verse uh, 29 says, uh, but I say to you, what, listen to what Jesus says. 
After, after he gives him the broken bread, after he gives him the, the fruit of the vine, he says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine uh, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I, I don't know, again, I don't know if the disciples, I'm sure they didn't understand the full implication of what was going on and what Jesus was saying, but I'm just telling you, they and us should have got real excited when Jesus made that statement right there. Because Jesus has just made three very important declarations right there. I, I, I even got them, I got them, but Tyler's got them for you. Up on the screen. Here, Number one, it means his death was not going to be the end. Isn't that what he said? He said, I'm not going to drink of this cup again until I drink it with you. So what has he just said? Death's not going to kill me. Death's not going to keep me dead. That, that's, that, yeah, yeah. Number two, his sacrifice was going to bring the victory over the kingdom of darkness and death. Because he said, he said, I'm not going to drink it with you again until I drink it in my father's kingdom. So in other words, I'm about to put the whooping, I'm about to put the hurt on the kingdom of darkness and death and the kingdom of light and righteousness is going to reign forever. In my father's kingdom, we'll do this. And then third, third, he says, we're going to celebrate with him in that kingdom. I'm not going to drink it again until in my father's kingdom. But then, guys, we're going to gather together and we're going to celebrate. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to party with the rock star. The solid rock of Jesus Christ. The star of David. Then we're going to celebrate. Then we're going to restore this festive occasion. Then we're going to remember. You know, and I, I know there's nothing, I, I can't point to a passage of scripture. I don't know what all heaven will be like. But I think it's kind of cool to think. And I don't know whether we'll do it every year. I don't know if we'll do it every day. I don't know if we'll do it every, But just the idea that maybe throughout all of eternity, we'll gather together and we'll celebrate our Passover. When the Son of God laid down his life so that everything that I deserved... Wretched sinner that I am. Everything I deserved passed over to him because we were under the blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior indeed. Thanks, Pastor, for reminding us of the importance of the Lord's Supper. As Pastor Clay explained, it's not just a ritual to perform or a tradition to observe. The Lord's Supper is a demonstration of how much God loves us. It's also an explanation of why Jesus had to die. His sacrifice was necessary for our sins to be forgiven. But as we also read in the passage from Matthew, the Lord's Supper indicates to us the victory that Jesus won on the cross for us. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you have a local Bible teaching church where you attend and serve and where you can participate with other followers of Jesus in the Lord's Supper? If not, we encourage you to find one in your area. And if you're in the Raleigh area, come visit us at Cross Culture Church. The Lord's Supper, it's much more than just a tradition. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Oh
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.